This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. Oh, you guys are all awake. It's Hey, we are better together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so fun to see all of you this morning. And this is going to be a really enjoyable teaching series. For those of you who are here for the very first time, and uh, maybe you were drugged here by uh, your wife or your husband, or maybe you were invited here by whomever, for whatever reason that you showed up this morning. Thank you for coming here for the very first time. Uh, I have a promise to make to you. I'm not going to say anything in, in the teaching time that you won't be able to fully understand. You don't have to have a background in the Bible or church to understand. And you don't even have to believe anything particularly about Jesus in order to feel at home here. Because there are two things that we do here. We explore faith. So if you're on the front end and you're just trying to figure out, do I really believe? Can I, can I really buy into this stuff? So we explore faith and we grow faith. And really, even for those of us who have faith, there are still whole areas of faith that are yet out there for us to explore. So I just want to invite you along on the journey. My name is Ron. I'm on the teaching staff here at New Life. And for the next 30 minutes or so, I'm going to do something that will help us explore and grow our faith. And before we jump into that, I want to say a couple things. First of all, no one in the world can grow your faith but you. One of the wonderful and sacred privileges that God gives to every single person is the opportunity and the ability to grow your faith. And as I just said, that's yours. I can't take it from you. I can't do it for you. It's yours to grow or build. And if you have a thriving and flourishing faith, it will be because you nurtured it well. And if your faith is just hanging on by a thread, well, faith is like any other living thing. If it's not fed regularly, it can't thrive. So what does that make the church? Well, it makes the church sort of like if you think of your faith as a seed, and Jesus actually talked about that, that faith was like a seed. If you think of your faith as a seed and you think of your heart as the soil that that seed can grow in, then the church becomes like a super warehouse store where you can go and get fertilizer and you can get hose and rakes and shovels and water and all that kind of stuff that you're going to need in order for the seed of faith to grow in your life. And so this morning, we're going to give you some tools, some resources that can help you grow your faith in this teaching series called Fully Alive. So uh, today we're going to look at the concept that Jesus said, I am the gate. What would he mean by that? So this is actually in the middle of what Jesus was saying. And so I've excerpted it out because if you grew up in church, then I know you've heard this verse probably a hundred times. If you didn't grow up in church, it's, it's not too difficult to grasp. He said, I have come that they, 
that is people, may have life and have it to the full. So I would like for you to personalize that for yourself. So I'm going to read it in sort of a personalized version. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Those are the words of Jesus. Now, there's an interesting thing that goes on in the field of communications, and we're going to be offering a small group course shortly called, it's called, I Said This, You Heard That. Does that ever happen in your home? (laughs) All the time. Happens at work all the time, right? I think this might even happen to me, myself, in my self-talk sometimes. I'm not sure what I'm saying. Because... Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And yet just based on my own experience, this is how I have heard that sometimes. Jesus was saying to me, I have come so that you, Ron, could get life right. Huh. Now there are things in the context of my life at the time that caused me to hear Jesus saying that even though that's not what he actually said. And at other times, I hear it like this. I have come to show you the right things to do so that life will go well for you. And it's very easy for church to become the sort of self-help context, but it's a religious self-help context, and it's a Jesus self-help context. So you come... And we'll go through the commandments of Jesus and we'll teach you all the right things to do. And if you do all the right things often enough, life will go well for you. Can I tell you? That's not what Jesus said. That is in no way what Jesus meant. He said, I have come that you could have life and have it to the full. He did not say, I have come to show you the right things to do so that life will go well for you. Huh. So let's go back and look at what Jesus said. And let's learn some things out of it. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He wanted us to know a couple things. First of all, it's possible for us to go through life as the walking dead. Do you realize what an absurd statement that is that Jesus made? I have come that you may have life. And he's saying that to people with a pulse who are breathing and perfectly mobile. And he's saying, I have come that you could have life. Huh. Because Jesus knew that you could have all the vital signs of life and yet be dead on the inside. And just know There has to be more to life than a heartbeat and air in my lungs and food in my belly. Have you ever felt like that? Everybody does. There's got to be more to it than this. Now, the second thing that he wanted us to know, I think is more for those of us who are already Christ followers and we already have some level of faith in our life. He wants us to know it's possible for us to go through life only partially alive. Just sort of limping along. By the way, do you realize if you're partially alive, that's better than not alive at all, correct? But do you realize if you're partially alive, you're also partially dead? That doesn't sound as good, does it? Yeah. Yeah. 
And Jesus is offering very clearly, hey, I came so that neither one of those would have to be true in your life. Now that begs a question, and the question is this. So what is this fullness of life that Jesus is talking about? What does it mean to be fully alive? Well, if you just looked at my life, I'll lay it out here for you. My actions sometimes indicate, and maybe you can relate to these, that having a full life is the same as having fullness of life. In other words, the more things I cram in here, man, somewhere in here, I'm going to be full and it's going to feel good. Yeah, right. No. (laughs) Yes. That's the truth. There's a big difference between just cramming things into our life. And, and if you're like me, oftentimes you feel like I'm not the one doing the cramming. It's my job. I'm married to it. I'm raising them. Right? Yeah. It's like everybody in the world wants a piece of me and a piece of my life. And everybody wants a bigger piece than what I can possibly give them. And I'm just going all different ways in life. And this just doesn't feel full. It feels full, but not the right kind of full. At other times, you could look at my life and you could say, oh, we've all had those moments where we felt fully alive, haven't we? Sure, maybe you won the league championship and you're, ho- you're hoisting the trophy and you're thinking, you know, this was, must be what it feels like to win the Super Bowl. I'm right here. Yeah, it's the Super Bowl of my city. Yeah. And there's adrenaline that courses through us. By the way, this concept of accruing fully alive moments, if I could just get enough of those in life, at some point... I would feel full. At some point, I would feel like I had fullness of life. If we're not careful, this can make us adrenaline junkies. Right? Yeah. If we're not careful, this can lead to all sorts of addiction. And there are times in my life, and by the way, they don't have to all be bad things. Maybe you go on a hike. A few years ago, my My younger brother and I hiked to the top of Yosemite Falls. And that was a big challenge for me. It wasn't all that big for him, but it was for me. All right? And we saw beautiful vistas. And frankly, I just wanted to stop, not only because I was tired. (laughs) I wanted to stop because the view was was breathtaking. And sometimes we think, if I could just put enough of those breathtaking moments together, then, then, then I would be fully alive. But I can tell you from experience that you can't put enough of those back to back to back to back in order to feel fully alive. You will burn yourself out or you will always be partially empty. There's another thing that sometimes I think, if I had a blessed life, do you know what I mean? If if my lottery ticket was the winning one, And I never, ever had to worry about money again. If I just had a blessed life, if my health was good and it was always good, and if my kids 
They grew up, and in junior high and high school, they still loved to hug me in public. (laughs) I would have a blessed life. I could have fullness of life if my kids would just do what I want them to do. I would have a a full life. Keep telling yourself that. (laughs) It just doesn't work that way. It's not about having a blessed life or God to solve all of your problems. So what is this fullness of life that Jesus talked about? Maybe the best thing for us to do would be let Jesus explain. How does that sound? So let's go back and look at this in its context. And Jesus said, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate. So let's stop right there for a minute and understand something. Jesus is about ready to give us teaching and he's going to use an illustration of a typical Israeli shepherd. And in order for us to really understand what Jesus is saying, we have to understand a little bit about an Israeli shepherd, and I'm going to hold this so that you won't forget. I'm not Israeli, but you can pretend. You have to know a little bit about an Israeli shepherd, and you actually have to know a little bit about an Israeli sheep in order for this to make sense. So let's start with an Israeli shepherd. Most Israeli shepherds did not run a massive ranch. There were a few who did, but most Israeli shepherds had a very small group of sheep, maybe a hundred of them or less. Now, here's the thing about sheep and, and survival, okay? In the daytime, wolves sleep, but at night, they prowl. And the problem is, the shepherd would love to go home and be with his family at night. So what they did is they rented space in a local sheep pen. And it wasn't high-tech space. They didn't have their own little cubicles with their own sheep. There was just a large penned-in area that a whole number of shepherds would rent space in based upon how many sheep you had. And the guy that owned the pen would open the door at the end of the afternoon and you would, and your sheep would all go into the pen and the guy would close the gate and the guy worked all night. That was his job. He ran the sheep pen. He's the gatekeeper. And so you have in this thing at night, you have all these sheep from all these different shepherds. And that's how it worked. And in the morning, the shepherds would all come and they would gather their sheep and they would all head out to different places around town. Now, here's the thing about a sheep. A sheep is not the sharpest tool in the barnyard. Okay? The life of a sheep goes something like this. I ate good grass. I drank clear water and the wolf didn't eat me today. It's good. That's pretty much all they cared about. Now, having that as the backdrop, let's go to this story that Jesus tells. Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought them out, there we go. When he has brought out all of his own, notice they're his, 
He goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, this is a wonderful picture uh, that Jesus is getting ready to say, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And he's saying, if you want to understand what that means, you have to understand that I'm the good shepherd. And I'm not going to drive you to fullness of life. I'm going to walk out ahead of you. And you have the choice to follow and to stay with me. But you also have the choice to wander off. Now Jesus says a couple of things that would really help us with that. He said, my sheep know my voice, right? Yeah. And one of the things that you learn as you grow your faith is the more that you grow your faith. And oh, by the way, growing your faith, it's not about what you know about faith. It's how you grow your faith that determines whether you thrive. The world is filled with people who know about faith. But it's those who grow that actually thrive. And Jesus is saying, if you want to grow your faith, okay, then recognize my voice. Hear my voice. And when I come to the sheep pen and you hear my voice, respond to it and follow me. But if you think I'm a stranger and you treat me like a stranger, you will what? You will never follow me. Yeah, that's an interesting choice we have. Now, as he goes, as he tells this, he's telling this to a specific group of people. They're called Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are an interesting group of people because they are the most pious and religious people of the whole Israelite nation at the time that Jesus was living. And they thought that the path or the way to fullness of life was a path that you could follow marked by a whole list of commandments. And actually, they had identified 623 of them. And so their thing was, if you could keep all 623, you would have fullness of life. So every day you would get up and try to check the list. Uh, Would you like to have a daily checklist of 623 items? Yeah, I think that's a recipe for failure. Yeah, and that's where they were. And notice the next thing that Jesus says is this. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Huh, because you know something? I said this, you heard that. When I say something that's so far away from what you're looking for, you you will more than likely dismiss it. Yeah. If you have a pet dog and your pet dog is missing and you ask me to help you find your pet dog and you say, I have found him. He's up in the top of that tree. Are you likely to look? Probably not. Because that doesn't seem reasonable. And Jesus is saying, I have come that you might have life, and the life is not found in keeping a list of commands. 
and to people who are religious and are used to rituals and rites and hoops to jump through and commandments to keep. When Jesus came and said, it's not about any of that, they were like, huh? They just couldn't get it. So Jesus goes ahead to explain. Look what he says. They thought that fullness of life was found in a path marked by all these commandments. And Jesus says, very truly I say to you, I am the gate. Don't look for the path. Look for the gate in the shepherd. Because the shepherd is actually not going to lead you down a path. The shepherd is going to lead you to a field that's wide open. And safety and fullness of life is not found by staying on the path. Let's read it and we'll see how he says it. Very truly I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. You know, that's the answer to what Darby said to you a while ago. That additional L where we feel lost in life. According to Jesus, the opposite of being lost isn't being found. It's actually being saved. Because if I found your dog in the top of the tree, but we had no way to get your dog down, the dog is found but not saved. It's not until your dog is on the ground with you. Yeah. So he goes. He says, we'll be saved. And then he says, they will come in and go out and find what? pasture, wide open, beautiful spaces. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, the Pharisees thought that the key to fullness of life was a path you had to stay on. And Jesus said the key to the fullness of life is a person. And when you are next to the person, and that person is Jesus, you get to experience fullness of life because there is a direct connection between the presence of Jesus in our life and experiencing fullness of life. Which brings up a very interesting question. How does that work? How could the presence of Jesus in my life actually produce fullness of life in me? And one of the best ways to understand that is to go to the writings of one of Jesus' closest followers, a guy who originally wanted nothing to do with him, but after a personal encounter with Jesus, it revolutionized his life. And based out of what Jesus taught him, and based out of his own experience of responding to the voice of Jesus, he wrote these words. He said, When the Spirit of Jesus directs our lives. And I put in brackets, when the Spirit of Jesus is our shepherd. To take us back to this word picture, he produces this kind of fruit in us. And can I just stop right there and say, he doesn't demand that you produce this kind of fruit in your life. What does it say? Sometimes that's what we hear. He said that, we heard this. When the Spirit of Jesus directs our lives, He produces in us this kind of fruit. And what follows is a beautiful and wonderful description of fullness of life regardless of the circumstances 
that you might find yourself in in this life. And here it is. Love, joy. Imagine with me just for a minute that your life was full of love. So full of love, there wasn't room for another more, another ounce of love in your life. It literally was bubbling over. And imagine that your life was full of joy. I mean, just full of joy. Bubbling over. And then peace. It, regardless of what's happening in your life, you have this internal peace that can't be shaken. And then patience. Yeah, I'm guessing if you don't have love, joy, and peace first, you might not have patience. What do you think? Yeah. Patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This, this follower of Jesus that we know as Paul experienced this in the middle of a prison sentence where he was unjustly thrown into prison simply because he was a follower of Jesus. And yet, he had learned in those circumstances that as long as the shepherd, his shepherd, was leading him and he was hearing the voice of his shepherd, the spirit of his shepherd was producing in him this fullness of life. So I want to leave us with some questions today. And we're going to press into these more over the next couple of weeks. But I I just want to leave you and leave me with some thought questions for us to just sort of uh, ruminate on and, and, and sort of soak in. And here they are. These are things that I think Jesus would say. What if being fully alive isn't about what we experience but is about who we are. And what if being fully alive isn't about what we do? It isn't about what we know. It isn't about what we own. It isn't about where we go. It isn't about our house or our car or the titles behind our name or our place at work. What if it isn't about what we do or know or own or where we go, but about what goes on in our heart? What if that's what produces fullness of life? And what if fullness of life isn't about the quantity of our events and how many things we can go to and take in and see and concerts we can go to? And those those are all good, wonderful things. But what if fullness of life isn't about those, but instead about the quality of our spirit? And when we're alone we actually like the person we're with. What if the person we see in the mirror is someone we would have great respect for even if they weren't us? Hmm. Two more. What if being fully alive isn't about chasing something, but about becoming someone? And what if being fully alive isn't something we achieve, but it's something we receive? Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for telling us 
that you came that we could have life and have it to the full. Thank you for getting down and stirring in our hearts and maybe even poking and prodding and sparking and maybe even provoking us in the best ways so that we would, as Darby said earlier, stop in this life and at least consider that maybe what we're packing in doesn't carry the promise that you give. That somehow we could unpack the stuff we don't actually have to have. We could press into you and then for those other things we could enjoy them fully as a wonderful blessing from you and not as a piece of life that we have to hang on to. God, thank you that you love us to the point and you trust us to the point that you would give to us the sacred privilege of growing our faith. And would you bless us now with a fantastic week of planting and watering and nourishing the faith that you have given us. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.